You're tuning into the podcast series, We Talk Cyber with Monica, your platform for engaging discussions and expert opinions on all things cyber. For more information, check out monicatalkcyber.com and let's hop right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. I'm your host, Monica Verma, and I'm today joined by none other than Vandana Verma. Today, we'll be talking about security versus privacy, trust versus zero trust, what are the risks, and what are the ethical implications. So let's get right into it. Hi, Vandana. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Lovely to have you on the podcast today. Um, Would you like to say a few words about yourself? So, um, hi everyone. I am uh, uh, Vandana and uh, I am a security evangelist. I root for pro bono work, so I support a lot of uh, open source communities wherein I help OWASP, InfoSec Girls, and a few other uh, communities in India. Um, so, you can reach me anytime and we can chat about all the community work that I'm doing. And um, I, there are less hands, so we can all join hands together. Fantastic. So let's hop right into the uh, episode on the topic that we have today, security versus uh, privacy. In one corner, we have privacy, right? We have um, uh, the whole idea of okay, securing the identity and the personal data of humans. UN has actually declared that as a fundamental basic right, even though it's not really constitutionalized in every country in the world yet. But obviously, we have seen in the last years, uh, GDPR and now CCPA coming into effect. We've also had scandals like Cambridge Analytica. We have talked about this in Congress and the world, basically. And in the other corner is security, Uh, the whole idea of zero trust and the concept around it. Um, and also under the umbrella of security, there is obviously the concept or, or the comes the surveillance from different c- countries in different forms. Obviously, some are very much into mass surveillance. Some are in, in different forms, not that invasive. But this is also under the umbrella of security to protect the citizens, to protect the nation, which somehow then conflicts a bit with, with privacy. So there are always these overlaps, but also misunderstandings, and then there's conflicts between security and privacy. Where does the balance lie, and what are the key challenges that you believe? So um, I would say that security, as you mentioned, that it's all about uh, safeguarding the data of users, whereas uh, when we talk about privacy, it's about uh, safeguarding users' identity. So when we say data and identity, there's always a contradiction, and um, the digital security age that we are in or the era that we are in, uh, we have so much of data flowing around. Mm-hmm. And to map that with identity uh, becomes a necessity. So uh, we tend to lose on privacy a lot of times. So privacy becomes a concern when the question comes that how the current design that we have will be um, will cope up with the new changes that are happening because mm-hmm. uh, we are talking about big data and so many other things. We have so many apps uh, where people want to get on. And mm-hmm. think about right now, we are all remote. And when we are all remote, we are digitally connected. So how are we going to manage that privacy? Um, so what, uh, what I would say that uh, privacy people have taken it as a luxury and it's often treated that way. Nice to have, but not essential. And that's why all the breaches that you mentioned happen. Wherein, uh, 
lot of people were aware that these are the things which are happening but a basic person or a normal human who they wouldn't know that there's something uh, like a privacy settings that i need to change mm-hmm. or i need to disable some settings or um, some app would be capturing all the things that i'm doing so all of that needs to be taken care and right to privacy is becoming very important i've seen that um, you mentioned gdpr you mentioned ccpa you mentioned there's another brazilian act that is there and then even india there is a right mm-hmm. to privacy like it was a, a nine judges bench which was there and they said indians also have a right to privacy but then there's always a graded line when what you have and wh- how you use it right right and you you point out a very important point here which is you can't not every single human being can really know oh those are the check boxes i need to click or uncheck uh this this brings or raises a good important question which is how do people normal human beings normal citizens how do people that are not working in security that are not security experts evaluate what are their risks when they're using different apps when they are uh, online and just browsing and how do they understand what privacy implications are for them because there is this aspect of obviously organizations and we'll and we'll come to that later the organizations and the wonders need to do a job but for human beings for for normal people what can they do how can they evaluate their risk and the implications on their privacy mm-hmm. so um, as a normal person what they can do is they can read the privacy uh, policies that you have because every uh, app or application they have written policies which are open to everyone because if, if a user is giving the consent that means they can use the data and mm-hmm. that's why a lot of uh, social media companies they're saying that we're trying to connect people but then there's a lot of data which is being used so um, the first thing is that as a normal human being or a normal person who's using an app who doesn't know about security or privacy we can read the privacy policies that what it says how they will be using our data mm-hmm. whether it'll be send to um some other service provider uh, another important aspect which i've recently learned uh, when when we talk about identity and access management because privacy is about identity management and keeping the identity safe so uh, there's a new uh, thing which is not new but it's uh, people say that it's new which is consumer identity and access management wherein consumer can decide whether mm-hmm. what data you are saving and then uh, if i can delete that data from your uh, application and what consent i am providing you when i am uh, giving you my credentials my email address my phone number my name or right i can choose whether i want to give you my hobbies whether i want to give you my date of birth you can mandate that so i think those things would really help a normal person that they can choose what they want to give to an application mm-hmm. not anything and everything they ask for right and this is similar to some of the aspects of gdpr that we have in europe where people can obviously consent to and and actually even ask for what data you have saved on me uh, and have the right to either give the consent or not give the consent or tell them to delete the data and the company should also have the privacy policy of telling when the data would be deleted and how long will it be kept and stored and retained under what circumstances there So that was the aspect of like okay normal people reading the privacy policy and trying to understand that as much as they can because obviously sometimes it's a bit difficult uh, to understand because of the language probably because of 
number of pages of document. So then we switch to the other side of it. What are the things in addition to, obviously GDPR is in effect in Europe. In general, what can organizations do to be better at ensuring that they have privacy in place for their consumers? Mm -hmm. So um, there are a few aspects like uh, the... Uh, first of all, the security and privacy. When we say for an organization, they have to have a, a um, they have to have a clear picture for the consumers, because uh, if the consumer doesn't know that this is something mm-hmm. that organization is telling me, or uh, if I'm using an app, they might be using it because it might be running in the back of my mind that they might be using my data somewhere. Like I have deactivated one of the applications because I feel that somebody might be using my data, even mm-hmm. though even I have deactivated, but I don't know if they have kept it safe somewhere. So uh, all of those things to avoid, uh, we can have a clear uh, consent management system for the users that what they want to provide, what they wish to uh, give you. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, on a regular basis, uh, organization can tell their consumers that this is what we are doing with the privacy things. They can let the users know that, Yes, this is important for you to know that this is how your data is being used or we are not using your data at all. There, uh, there has to be a clear communication. And at the mm-hmm. same time, when we talk about security, security can all, always be built into the software development lifecycle so that uh, the softwares are secure. Right. So let's talk about a bit about this aspect of security and privacy by design and by default as a part of the security lifecycle. What are some of the recommendations you would give even to have privacy as a part of, like we have obviously talked many years now about security as a part of life cycle. How do we also incorporate privacy as a part of life cycle or both of both of the aspects? So um, when we say privacy by default or security by default, people have grown to understand that, yes, we have to embed um, security into the life cycle where it has to start early. Earlier, uh, I'm starting with security and then I'm going to end with privacy. So security, uh, earlier we were testing it in the end, like once the product is done Mm -hmm. or once the environment is set up, the whole network is set up and then we used to do the pen testing, be it network or application. Uh, Then if there's a bug, you take days or years to fix. We know that sometimes uh, a critical bug might take 45 days to fix. Mm -hmm. What will happen? What could go wrong? The breaches like Apache or uh, the breaches like Equifax or all other breaches will keep happening. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, so if uh, we want to avoid those things, we have to have security by default. We have to train people. We have to have the whole environment set up for all those things that are needed uh, to start the security early in the life cycle. Mm-hmm. So um, when we talk about privacy by design, uh, when uh, we are handling the data, when we are mm-hmm. handling the identities, we are thinking all about what GDPR says, what CCPA mm-hmm. says, mm-hmm. Uh, how we can have, uh, when we are building a system, how we can uh, safeguard the user's identity in that system so mm-hmm. that nobody can actually uh, take it away. We can have uh, uh, encryption, clear at rest, uh, in motion, or anywhere else. We are taking the data which is only required because I've mm-hmm. seen organizations taking huge amount of data, but then tend to not know what to do with that. And right. categorization of data is very, very important. Classification of data that uh, mm-hmm. this is the data that we would be using. This is the data we don't want. Or, okay, we just just leave it. We're not going to use it. We are discarding it. Uh, and 
there's another thing that has happened uh, with some of the companies wherein they didn't know uh, that this was the data that was supposed to be safeguarded and this was the data which was not supposed to be safe, safeguarded. So not safeguarding the right data. Right, right. Those are the things that needs to be addressed at the right time. And that's when uh, zero trust and all of these things came come into picture because they talk about uh, identity management and they talk about security management, both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking of security of users and security of an organization. Right. And and you bring the right, uh, one of the other points that you just mentioned now, it's very good and very fantastic is that a lot of companies take not only massive amount of data, but massive or different types of data that they probably don't even need. There is so much invasive collection of data, if one can say so. And I mean, we have seen all these different contact tracing apps that now have come in the light of COVID-19. And even forgetting those contact tracing apps, just look at social media in general. There is so much massive amount and type of amount of type of metadata that is collected that people are not even aware of, and and organizations use it without handling it properly. Um, and then add to that the aspect of bionic devices. I mean, there is one thing of having apps, and obviously these apps are collecting massive amount of data. Then think of augmentation and having um, heart pacemakers and bionic implants. We know through the history, and we have learned that wonders are not really great at having security and privacy by default and design when products come out, right? Right. So what are the biggest recommendations you can give to uh, product vendors? Uh, How can they build at least the basic level of security and privacy in these devices and products? Because... Now, based on how the, secure, how the security of these devices are, it can be life-threatening risks and life-threatening impacts. And in general, as well, based on what kind of profile you have, your identity, if it's stolen and privacy, if it's done maintained, could be also life-threatening to you based on yeah, what kind of work do you do, what kind of uh, profile you have. So what are your recommendations from that perspective? I would say... Um... The first thing that uh, think about security and privacy by default, because mm-hmm. these interconnected devices um, or heart pa- uh, heart pacemakers, bionic implants, or uh, connected vehicles, uh, because mm-hmm. connected vehicles are also becoming more and more prevalent, and we don't have a standardization. Uh, if I'm not wrong, that we don't have standardization around that. So mm-hmm. we need to first have standardization around it. Then, uh, when we have a lot of benefits for all those things. We do. We, we certainly do have some risks around it. So organizations need to build security into the software itself because once the product is developed, it will take a huge amount of money and effort to fix that bug. How about when we are starting to build all those devices, mm-hmm. build the security? Um, we also can actually enforce uh, um, uh, two-step verification for certain things, not for hard pacemakers or, but especially for cars or. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, other IoT devices, the things can be done. Right. And I feel like we have, I don't know, I'm really waiting for the time when we can come to a point where um, admin, admin is not going to be the default <laughs> username yeah. and password on devices. I mean, I'm really waiting when that's going to happen, if that's going to happen. So uh, what would you say, based on all the discussions that we have had, what would be your one key message for users uh, in terms of understanding security versus privacy? Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, privacy is not optional. It's the way of life. It's the way that you're giving your information 
to anyone and everyone. Your whole life depends on it. So think before you uh, give away your privacy to anyone. It's like the your house key, giving it to a thief and saying that, go ahead and do what you want to do. Or um, another example would be like using your toothbrush. Like you don't share your toothbrush with anyone. So why would you want to share your privacy with anyone else? Right. Thank you for that. Uh, do you have any recommended reading for our audience? I would say NIST Privacy Framework is beautiful. Like mm-hmm. uh, NIST has amazing uh, frameworks around security, zero trust, and uh, privacy. You should take a look at it. They have like uh, explained it very beautifully. Lovely. Then we will do that. I would recommend to the audience to check out the NIST Privacy Framework. It was lovely to have you on the podcast episode, Vandana. Fantastic to have these discussions with you. And I hope that I can already reserve you now for the next episode at some point. <laughs> Thank you so much. Glad but wonderful here. work. Wonderful work that you're doing. And I really, really admire it. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, yes, that was for today's episode of We Talk Up with Monica. I'll be back with more episodes, fantastic guests, and amazing discussions on all things cyber. Until then, take care, stay safe, and stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in to We Talk Cyber with Monica. Do not forget to subscribe to We Talk Cyber in your favorite podcast app and YouTube channel, Monica Talk Cyber. Take care and continue tuning in.